The List Masters, a podcast where lists are made and we review, rate, and rate music, movies, and more. Join us or die. This is your host, Trennan, and I am joined today by Corey, Sid, Tori, and for a small portion of the episode, this is Sarah. Hello. Hello, Sarah. (laughs) Sarah is going to join us for a small portion of the podcast before she runs off to discuss one of the films we're discussing today, The Shining. She's going to talk a little bit about her experience. Um, So we're discussing two films in this podcast. And the first one is The Shining, uh, made in 1980. And the next one is Silent Hill, and made in 2006. So... We're going to go ahead and get started on it, and I guess we'll go ahead and do, we'll just go in chronological order, and we'll just talk about The Shining first. That sounds uh, perfect to me. The Shining is my number five favorite film of all time, and that's kind of what this whole uh, podcast is about, list masters um, making lists of our top five favorite films, and so my number five is The Shining, and Corey's choice this week number five is silent hill sid and tori will be doing theirs next podcast episode so we'll go ahead and get started with my number five uh this was has everyone seen this movie yeah yep about a hundred times okay so this is one of my favorite movies for a reason um, it was written by Stephen King as a novel, I believe, in 77. And uh, it became uh, a film in 1980, um, directed by Stanley Kubrick, and stars Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, several others as well. But it mainly the plot is about a man and his family who become winter caretakers for the winter season for a hotel that closes during the winter. So they're there for about five months uh, and they're supposed to take care of the hotel. However, the hotel has secrets um, that they are kind of aware of at the beginning during the interview segment of the um film where jack is being interviewed um it's jack and wendy torrance are the characters and they have a small son named danny torrance and danny has a um gift called the shining and that's where he gets the title of the film but it was written by stephen king um one evening he was he was staying at this hotel in colorado in estes park called the stanley hotel um he didn't know that later on stanley kubrick would be the one directing the film but (laughs) he stayed in a room called 217 and in the film it's 237 they had to change it but in the novel it is 217 and that night he had some nightmares and he got up very early and 
the inspiration to write this novel came to Stephen King. And so we're going to discuss a little bit about that, but then we're mostly going to get into the movie. But the Stanley Hotel, I have been there. I went to the Stanley Hotel earlier, um, November of last year, and stayed there. And it it's not the, the um, hotel in the movie, but they do have certain things that are based on that, like the hallways are very cool. It looks like that. The bar down at in the bottom of the hotel looks like that looks like was, the movie. Uh, was none of it filmed there no none of it was filmed there however there was a 1997 miniseries that was filmed there i uh, don't really like the miniseries that good i think it's cheesy but it's pretty cool that it was filmed there so is it just like the outside of the hotel that was the shining thing well the outside of the hotel is a hotel in in uh, oregon called uh, the Timberline Lodge. How does this hotel make it the hotel from The Shining if it wasn't? Because it was, this was the hotel that The Shining was based on. This is the hotel that Stephen King wrote The Shining about. Um, So this is the, the Shining Hotel, the original. The other one was basically. This was the inspiration. Yeah, the exteriors was. This is the real Shining Hotel. The Timberline Lodge is just something they filmed exteriors, and then the interiors they filmed on a soundstage in England. And speaking of England, uh, my wife is here, and she is from England, and uh, she wanted. We're going to talk a little bit about our stay at the Stanley Hotel. So we got to the Stanley, and uh, it was a beautiful place. Colorado's beautiful, but this place was just remarkable. Uh, they did, they were playing like older music, you know, when you go on the inside and they got like this antique car on the inside and this grand staircase that goes up. And we did get to go to room 217 experience when we were, um, when we were there and they were talking about ghosts. Everybody says there's ghosts there or whatever. But um, I went down to the uh, hotel lobby, so I'll let her tell you. Hello, everyone. Hello. So when we went to the hotel, we had a spirit package, which meant that we got to stay on the fourth floor, which has the most activity, um, spirit activity. And it also included the, the tour of the hotel where you go down underneath and we have a guide and everything so um i don't really like scary movies so i had seen the movie trying to made me watch it but we um he promised me that he wouldn't freak me out once we got there so so like the hotel itself was like beautiful and it was daylight and everything was fine but then like when we went up in the elevator and got out i mean the the hallways look just like the movie. So um, we get to our room and we open the door. And even though we were there in November, it was so bloody hot. Because what was the temperature? It was like, I, I forget what it was, but it was really hot. And we're on the fourth floor and there's no air conditioning. Uh. So we immediately opened the window and we had bought some drinks with us. And so... Um, Trana went to get ice so I went into the bathroom 
and a couple minutes later, I heard him come in and walk across the room. Um, and so I started talking to him through the door. And he didn't say anything. So I thought he was like messing around with me. So I was getting mad. Um, and I was like, you know, Trannon, you better answer me. And like, there was nothing. So of course I like opened the door and the room is empty. So it really freaked me out. I ran across the room, got my phone, and locked myself back in the bathroom and I called him. I'm like, where are you? And he couldn't find the ice. He had to go down to reception. I think they only have ice, what, on the first floor? Second. Oh, second floor. So I don't know who came in the room or walked across or whatever, but it was freaky. <laughs> and then we also, when we left to go, well, I guess we were going for dinner, but Trannon took a picture of me in the hallway outside of our room. And it does, I mean, to me, it looks like Dash from The Incredibles or like a cat, but there's definitely like two things next to me in the picture. So, yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. But anyway, and I mean, I don't really believe in that stuff, but I mean, there is something in the picture, so he can put that. You can put it somewhere. I'll I'll post it on the Facebook page. But also, um, at night, we kept hearing, it sounded like, someone was walking above us like there was a room you know above us and people were walking but there was no room above us we were the top floor. <laughs> so it was like we were the top floor so it was like you know something in the attic or something well um and also the fourth floor when he because this wasn't built to be a hotel it was actually like a a guest house for his friends from the east coast when they came out to colorado so the fourth floor was for the children and their nannies. So they say that there's a lot of kid activity up there. But when we were laying in bed, it just, it sounded like someone was just try- like the door kept rattling, but like you couldn't, you couldn't actually see it moving, but it just sounded like somebody was trying to get in the room all night and there was someone running up and down. So we will never stay there again because we didn't get any. Yeah, I would not be able to sleep. This is the thing about ghosts is that I don't believe in them at all. But every once in a while, something happens that is completely unexplainable, which yeah. makes you question it. Yeah. I mean, I really wasn't expecting that. Like when he left the room for me, you know, for like something else to be in there. Yeah. So it definitely caught me off guard. And I mean, it was a small room. So, I mean, I definitely heard him open the door and walk across the room. So. Yeah, it was the door was rattling all night long. I mean, you would go to sleep and then it would go bam, bam. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, I would have just told him to shut up. Yeah. I did. My yeah. God. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was talking to him, but they weren't having it. <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh it was quite an experience the thing that i remember the most was how hot it was it was so crazy because outside it was fine it was actually cool outside but when you got up there it was yeah very very you know depressing as far as the atmosphere was but it was but i mean i enjoyed it i would go back to the hotel but i, I wouldn't want to stay there anymore yeah nothing like a warm night 
Yeah, hey. warm night with a bunch of noise. Yeah, in yeah. November in Colorado when it's supposed to be snowing. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was supposed to be frigid cold in Colorado during the winter. It wasn't. Yeah, I think it was like 30-something the next day, but when we were there, it was stuffy. Yeah. I have a suggestion. What's that? We could make a podcast on like our like scary experiences. Oh, like, yeah. that we- I have several that I could do. Yeah, that would be good. We'll make a top ten list, and yeah. uh, mine will be number one. Yeah. Yeah, because Tori, when we went to that hotel, the Brown in um, where was that? Uh, that was in Kentucky. In Kentucky. Was it in Kentucky? No. What was it? Oh, Cincinnati. No. It was Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay. Um. Yeah, there was stuff going on in that hotel too. I have had several experiences like that, and I have even had one Bigfoot encounter face to face. Oh, they now they had that um, at the the town of Estes Park when you walked around. They had this um, like old fashioned movie theater, and that night it was the Bigfoot Society. They were having a Q and A. So well, I, I should thinking, have been the one leading it. That would have been fun. Yeah, they have uh, some fossilized poop. Of oh. Bigfoot in like Tennessee. Mm. <laughs> Where can I get me some of that? Maybe it was Where's Bigfoot he? running up and down the halls that night <laughs> on the ceiling. Yeah, and then yeah. he climbed up on top of the hotel. Yeah, squirrels, squirrels <laughs> with Bigfoot. He's trolling you guys. <laughs> squirrels in combat boots, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we'll move on to the uh, movie. Yeah, the, the book is different than the movie. It gets a little bit more in detail, and the miniseries made in 97 is almost like an adaption of the book. So if you're interested in that, any listeners interested in that, go check it out. Like I said, it's not my favorite, but it's, you know, you, I'd, I'd recommend watching it once, you know. But uh, as far as the Kubrick film adaption, Sid, I think your introduction to the to this movie came through a rabbit cartoon. <laughs> yes, it did. You want to tell us a little uh, bit about that? Yeah, it was like a uh, weird synopsis. It was like an Adult Swim type thing, and it was just rabbits. And um, it was like a very fast version of The Shining. But I remember one scene where the rabbit gets an axe to the sternum. <laughs> But hmm. yeah, that's that's what I remember. That's a very bizarre cartoon to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wendy, you and Danny are gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then another little thing I remember about Sid and his introduction to it was I played the trailer to the film, and uh, it's basically the elevator, and then the blood comes out of the elevator, and Sid used to he was really little, and he would say. The juice, he called it. The juice. juice. <laughs> he was yeah. so obsessed with the people juice. Yeah, he was so obsessed with juice. <laughs> I thought it looked tasty. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny because that movie has so much symbology in it that you know there are many um, conspiracy theories about it, and one is like the. Um, Represent it's representative of Native American slaughter because you know their Native American um, decor in the hotel uh, everywhere, um, 
And if you ever watch the documentary Room 237, it talks about that. It talks about so many theories. Some of them are just bunk, I think. They're ones about Stanley Kubrick helping the government fake the moon landing. And <laughs> there's clues in The Shining because Danny's oh, yeah. Apollo 11, you know, shirt. Oh, yeah. Sweater. I've seen that, actually. That's such yeah. a weird way to, like, make a sim like like a, uh, um, to symbolize the uh, fake moon landing thing like yeah really. <laughs> even though even though in the 80s every kid was wearing I think like the number one job kids wanted to be in the 80s was an astronaut because that's the media talks so much about it right after the moon landing mm-hmm yeah, seventies and eighties for sure. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I'll give a brief plot of it. I, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but we'll go into the scenes. And you know, it starts out with this this droning music that begins with a the um, Jack going up to do his interview at the hotel, and then of course he goes to the interview, and the interviewer tells him about you know um, a tragedy that occurred there. Ten years earlier, a man uh, got cabin fever, kind of went crazy, and killed his wife and two daughters with an axe. So, um, you know, Jack's kind of taken aback by it, but he's fascinated. And so the next time you see him, they're going up to the um, hotel. And Jack already looks like he's going maniac (laughs) yeah i mean he already looks that way it's not like he's losing it uh it's different from the novel because he you know he seems a nice guy in the novel and then he kind of goes crazy because of the hotel but in in the film he seems like he's already a little bit on edge and um he don't seem to like his family very much of course i can't blame him with a wife that seems like she has an iq of seven yeah running around screaming yeah she she doesn't seem like yeah she's all there either you know there is one a theory that that that's all in her mind too but i think that's so far-fetched out there that that's a bit much well that's better than the fake moon landing (laughs) yeah yeah i'd give that props over the fake moon landing for sure yeah but um so anyways after that you know they get they get in the hotel and you know it's kind of normal and you know he's he talks down to her a lot and then you know as it goes he's in the room in the big room typing and she comes in there and he like berates her um and a lot of people say you know this is like the what they would call toxic masculinity i hate that phrase but you know that's something that you know kind of because he kind of uh condescends her and berates her a lot and just really treats her like she's you know less human than he is and he don't really have to he doesn't seem to have any sort of acknowledgement of his son at all really in the film and then Danny really creepy moment when he uh, asks him to come over there to him yeah yeah that was creepy Mm -hmm. so Danny you know, he, he takes up with the chef there, a Dick Halloran, and he is, um, you know, he tells him he, Dick also has the shining. And so him and Danny kind of bond over that. And then, you know, things just sort of progress and, and Jack and Wendy, um, you know, their relationship deteriorates. 
over time. Uh, Wendy and Danny are usually by themselves. Jack is by himself usually. And when the when they come into contact with each other, it's always uh, conflict. It seems like. So then you know there's a big dust up about um, Danny. Um, was told not to go in room 237 by Dick Halloran. He does go in room 237 and something terrible happens. I won't spoil it, but uh, he comes out and Wendy then accuses Jack of hurting him uh, because apparently Jack had hurt him in the past as he was drunk and Danny had done something and he jerked him up by the arm. But anyways, um, so she accuses Jack of hurting him. So Jack goes to the gold room and he sits down at the bar. Now, this is when things get very interesting for me because he sits at the bar and he's a former alcoholic. He's been off the wagon for a while and he he makes a statement at the bar. He says, I would sell my soul for just a glass of beer. And suddenly a bartender appears and he seems to know the bartender. He calls him by his name, Lloyd. And he and Lloyd have a discussion while Jack drinks this, I guess, imaginary drink, or maybe it's a real drink. Uh, Something has manifested there after Jack made that statement. So, you know, one of my theories is it's, it's the Faustian tale. It's where Jack just, you know, sells his soul and that's Mm -hmm. it. Um, That's one theory that I, I think is plausible for the film. Uh, Things get kind of crazy later on. And, um, you know, eventually Jack um, gets a hold of an axe and chases Danny and Wendy. And, you know, if you haven't seen the film, just watch it. So I'll just leave it at that. So what did you guys think of the film overall? I'll go with you first, uh, Sid. Um, so overall, I think that The Shining is a masterpiece. And if you're a fan of horror, you should definitely watch The Shining. You should already have watched The Shining. But um, if you haven't, you should definitely watch it because um, it's so immersive, I guess. It sucks you in. My granny, um, she didn't like horror movies, but she sat through the entirety of The Shining because yeah. <laughs> it's so um, it's bizarre. And it yeah, really, she really uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, it really keeps you immersed. Yeah. What about you, Corey? Well, this movie is actually my number one favorite movie of all time. Uh, I think it's a masterpiece. It's so good. It's such a slow burn. And usually slow burns are incredibly boring for the first hour. And they don't pick up until the end. This one's already interesting from the beginning and then becomes insanely interesting as it picks up. And it has so many psychological aspects of things that you don't know what's really going on and what it means. And then they have that notorious scene at the end where it shows him in the uh, old photograph hanging up that has everybody fighting <laughs> about what it means. Uh, I mean, the the whole movie to me is just fantastic. And like I said, this is my favorite movie of all time. Every time I hear somebody say they haven't watched it, I just about always sit down and watch it with them. And I hate movies. <laughs> but this one is a standout to me. I, I love it. It's one of the most visually appealing movies ever made. I mean, almost every shot looks like it was a painting. 
Well, you know, Stanley Kubrick used to be a photographer. So every scene that he comes up with is like that. It's a piece of art, like every single scene. Yeah, That's why his movies are so visually impacting. Like I've seen Stanley Kubrick movies. If the first time I watch them, it's almost like I turn them off. And then (laughs) after, it's like it sticks in my head. There are scenes that just stick in my head. And so I go back and watch it. And then I watch it again. And then I watch it again. And then finally, it's like, man, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. You know, it's like <laughs> a masterpiece. It's like the gorillas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tori? What are your thoughts on it? Um, so my, uh, my review of the movie isn't going to be as long and, you know, thought out. But basically... It is one of my favorite horror movies, definitely. I remember when I was uh, when I was younger and I started getting into these kinds of movies. I would always like sit down with Dad and like have popcorn and like just watch them. And I just remember, um, like, I remember the scene. One of the scenes that creeped me out the most for some reason was the. Um, um the the jack is a dull boy scene oh yeah all work no play. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, it just freaked me out <laughs> yeah that's a that's crazy and then then the dialogue that happens after that where she acute you know she's trying to help danny and jack is like well are you concerned about me yeah. you know i've signed a contract and again that goes back to the faustian thing for me uh or the tale of faust and it's like you know, he says, I signed a contract. Well, that could have a double meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, he signed a contract to watch after the, the Overlook Hotel, but he also said I would sell my soul for just a glass of beer. You know, so is there a, a blood contract, you know, with the devil? And then you also got to look at it from the aspect, Corey, you mentioned about the, uh, you were said one mentioned about the uh, fo- photograph at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys think that Jack was reincarnated and he had been there before? Cause he did know, seem to know Lloyd and, uh, or do you think that he was just in enveloped in that world and kind of knew Lloyd? Um, and that's, then, you know, that's probably the most confusing part of the movie. <laughs> I think, I think that it's kind of like the hotel absorbed him like he was taken by the hotel kind of and so he kind of became enveloped in the culture of that hotel which is why he's in the photograph at the end and why he knew Lloyd when he went in there and he said that he kind of became one with the hotel is kind of how I see it yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, that that's that's the way I see it too but I mean there could be the reincarnation thing where he'd been there before because you think about it like this when he meets the when he meets the guy that supposedly killed his family grady now in the interview the guy says that a man named charles grady killed his family in 1970 but he meets lloyd i mean he meets the other grady named delbert grady in the bathroom and that guy seems to be from the 1920s Mm -hmm. you know so uh you know the theory could be that they both were enveloped into the world of that hotel, which basically is a, an eternal recurrence of the 1920s. Mm-hmm. 
he's he mentioned something at the bar called white man's burden when he drinks the drink he said white man's burden lloyd and white man's burden was basically like you know historical uh manifest the you know colonial um, that's where a lot of people get it from you know they're saying it's about native american slaughter things of that nature you know the typical male white man who um you know is in control of his family and in control of his life and that seems like jack is never in control but he wants to be he's not in control of his child he's not in control of his wife he 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 almost presents himself as the man but he's really a weak man and you know the hotel kind of gives him this power um and, and it takes him you know envelops him but then really does he he doesn't have any power there because the hotel has the power yeah so he's like trading off you know his family that he he does he disdains seems to be for the hotel and the hotel has power over him as well uh what do you guys think of that what are your theories on that as far as the either the reincarnation or the uh you know it sucked him in so to speak tori what do you think about that um, I have, I have absolutely no idea, but I agree with Corey's theory about how the hotel just like he became one with it because that would also, um, explain like the painting. So, you, you, yeah. The portrait. Yeah. I have a theory. What? Uh, what if the shining is some form of hell? Yes. I've thought about that as well. And so, basically, you get tricked into making a deal with the devil, and you get trapped there. Yeah, and and I, you know, did Jack the moment he said that was that was when he become one with the hotel because that's when Lloyd appeared. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, so there's all kinds of theories, but I think those theories or that theory is actually the best. I also have a theory. And this just far fetched, but I think like maybe the first half of the movie is reality, and then after Jack is typing, the rest of it is Jack's novel. That is interesting. Mm. You know, everything from there on out is the story, and we don't really see the what happened with the real family. Because everything starts to go downhill from there. But that's just my, you know, theory I just pulled out of thin yeah. air. That's a good theory. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's um there's just so so much in this movie. When you watch it, you can just catch so many things. There's things in there which they call continuity area eras where Wendy, say, for example, is talking to Jack in the big room. And then, you know, it'll flip to Jack and there'll be a chair behind him. And then it'll flip back to Wendy, flip back to Jack, and the chair's gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, those <clears throat> things like that. So that also makes me think that, you know, part of it could be um, – imaginary and that's really where they got the whole thing about wendy you know hallucinating a lot of the stuff uh there's a video on youtube the wendy theory i believe or something like that look that up if you're interested in that but yeah that film is really has a major impact um and you know it, it's just one of those films that sticks with you and then we'll move 
on to the next film. But before we do that, I want to um, I want to discuss a little bit about what your guys' favorite scenes are from The Shining, and I'll start with you, Sid. Definitely the hedge maze. It's um, one of the most intense scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Every time it happens, it's like you're biting your lip. (laughs) Yeah. What about you, Corey? So for me, like I've said, one of the main reasons I love this movie is just how gorgeous each shot is. And to me, the most gorgeous shot in cinema history is the blood elevator scene. I I could watch that scene endlessly. And it so for me that's uh that's my favorite scene. Yeah, just go watch the trailer then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Tori? Um I actually have two. Um I I really like the Jack is a dull boy scene. Uh, but I also like um the the maze too because that like Sid said it's just so intense it's it kind of um <laughs> gave me major anxiety to watch but. if I had to pick a second scene to be my favorite it would probably be the uh the scene where it zooms in on that guy's face wearing the dog mask <laughs> oh that's weird that scene makes me laugh every time I have no idea how that plays into the rest of it. <laughs> Well, I, I won't spoil it for you, but apparently that is there were some very uh, explicit sexual connotations in that film, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> We've already spoiled a little bit, so yeah. we should probably put a warning at the beginning of this. Yeah, this, we will. This movie is like fifty years old. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you should have watched it. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, for me, I think I have two as well, like Tori. Um, my favorite scene of the entire film is Jack at in the gold room at the bar and in the bathroom. The one with Lloyd and the one with Gilbert Grady. I can recite that entire scene just out of my head. I've watched that movie so much, I can recite the entire scene. Uh, from that film and it's so weird because you can watch a power dynamic change Mm -hmm. uh, in the bathroom because Grady at first appears to be this aloof sort of character wiping you know he made a mess on Jack accidentally and he's wiping it off and he's you know yes sir and talking about and he's very polite and Jack when he brings up hey you're the guy that killed his wife and two daughters suddenly there's a power dynamic that changes right there and you can watch it. And even the, like the, the shot when it goes from Grady to Jack, Jack is no longer in control. He seems to be confused and dumbfounded. And Grady is the one telling him, you know, my wife and daughters didn't like the hotel at first, but I corrected them. And he suggests that Jack correct Wendy and Danny and that's where it gets started right there uh, that scene is just great and then my other favorite scene is of course the legendary here's Johnny scene uh-huh. where he he's coming after Wendy with an axe he chops through the door he sticks his face through the 
the um, door part that he has cut out and basically looks over at her. She's screaming in the bathroom with a knife and he says, here's Johnny. And he ad-libbed that. He was supposed to say, boo. <laughs> and Wouldn't have he, been anywhere near as good. No, or legendary. Yeah. He ad-libbed that. So, um, you know, that movie is just so phenomenal to me. Um, like I said, I could talk about it for a long, long time and we already have, um, maybe, you know, we'll discuss it a little bit again later when we get to Corey's number one, you know, we'll have a little bit more to talk about, but we're going to go ahead and move on now. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Imagine how different it would be if he said boo. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been a terrible movie. Yeah. Yeah. Automatically. (laughs) Imagine like people like using that as the, a popular phrase. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just boo. Boo. Somehow I don't think that made its way into the cultural uh, landscape. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Or the yeah, the cultural consciousness. Um, So, The Shining, I recommend it highly. I give it absolutely the top level seven stars on our scale. Um, and it's just a masterpiece for me. This is a seven for me, too. See it in Tori. Oh, oh, we give it a rating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll definitely give it a seven. Yeah, I'll give it a seven, too. All right, we're going to move on to our next film, and this is Corey's Choice. And I'm going to let Corey go ahead and take the floor. Well, I'm going to be a little bit like how Tori is explaining why she likes music. It's just basically <laughs> going to be, I like the way it looked. Uh no, this movie, uh, when we first discussed doing this podcast, it was originally going to be top 10, and I couldn't think of 10 movies I really enjoyed, because like I said earlier, I'm not a movie guy, so I had to be five. So just because this is on the list doesn't mean I think it's a masterpiece. This is just one of the five movies I could remember watching. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do really enjoy it. Um I don't know if any of you guys have played Silent Hill, but it's one of my absolute favorite video game franchises. It's so good, especially Silent Hill 2. And this movie is one of the rare cases where a movie that was a game-to-film adaptation really felt like the game. Like, even... uh, I don't know if this was intentional. I feel like it has to be. But you notice how awkward it is, how the characters talk to each other like there's always that awkward kind of weird gamey feel that is exactly how the dialogue is in the games because they're they're older games and the voice actors were pretty terrible at times and i feel like they did it intentionally to make it feel even more like the games but the music in this this movie is top-notch the atmosphere is top-notch it really feels like the game like i said so Basically, I'll, I'm not going to spoil anything because this movie is really good. But basically, there's uh, Rose and Christopher, and they adopt a girl named Sharon. And she starts sleepwalking, and she talks about this place called Silent Hill while she's sleepwalking. And so her dad wants to go get her psychological help, which is what needs to happen. And her mom's like, no, I'm going to take her to Silent Hill. Um which is pretty stupid, but <laughs> typical. 
so she she finds it and she takes her there. And the thing about Silent Hill and the games, uh, there are a lot of things that don't really line up too much. In the games, you end up in Silent Hill usually when you have something very mentally wrong with you that you have to get over. Like in Silent Hill 2, the guy is uh, going there to look for his wife. And then you find out at the end that he murdered his wife and he's having to accept his guilt for that, which is why he ends up there. Um, and this one, they're not, they don't really have anything they're trying to get over. It's just kind of more of a traditional movie where she ends up lost there. And so her mom has to find her. Uh, but I, th I still thought it was really interesting anyway. So they get in Silent Hill, they meet that cops, uh, Sybil, I think was her name. And they end up on an epic adventure where they discover a cult that's trying to uh, kill the kill witches. And then to me, this is where it kind of loses it. I think the first half of the movie is very good. And the second half gets convoluted and kind of stupid. So <laughs> that's why it was number five in my slot. So I am interested to hear what you guys think, though. Well, I think. You know, the movie to me was sort of multidimensional. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, um, reality and then Silent Hill reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to be kind of a, min a dimension that you go into when you're losing your mind. And it's like always you don't even know if it's real or not, which is why, like I said, like in the games, it's always somebody that's going who has some extreme emotional turmoil that they're having to get through. And a lot of it is representative. Like uh, in the second one, Pyramid Head is actually not even uh, and really an evil character. He's the representation of guilt that that guy has for killing his wife. And so he's really sent there to punish him mentally for what he did. Yeah, that sort of reminds me. I don't know if any of you have read the um, the writings of Carl Jung, but he speaks of the shadow. And it's basically like we're divided, you know, as personalities and everybody has sort of the shadow self. And people talk about that as being, you know, your dark side or whatever. But. You know, this is almost like I, I noticed the girl was like split into two, mm -hmm. you know, and so like the shadow self was there as well. So it's very Jungian to me. Um, and like I said, it's multidimensional. It's very psychological. Um, it almost reminds me a bit of the David Lynch movie Mulholland Drive, not in any context of the plot, but just because of the way that it is so as you said, convoluted and so many dimensions to it, you know, and there's this box in the, in Mulholland drive, it takes them into that sort of world. And so, yeah, it's, it's sort of like that. It's got a lot of that. Um, it's very symbolic. Like you said, you know, pyramid head is sort of the symbolism of guilt sort of reminds me of that Javier, uh, Bardem and, um, Jennifer Lawrence, maybe mother, it's very um, symbolic. You know, you could get so much from it be out of the symbols that it has. But as far as like the way the film is made to me, like cinematography and things of that nature, it's almost like Marilyn Manson got together with Isaac from Children of the Corn and they come up with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, this movie, like, 
you were talking about uh, symbolism, and uh, every monster pretty much represents uh, something. Like um, the uh, monsters in the schoolhouse represent the kids that um, you know bullied that little girl mm-hmm. um, who used to live there, and uh, like you said, uh, pyramid head represents sort of the uh cult as a whole who uh burned her and um then that that monster in the bathroom represents the uh guy well, it is the guy <laughs> this is well, yeah. represent him he's yeah. the guy who raped That's the little true. girl yeah the janitor yeah the janitor yeah. yeah um i would like to point out that you guys are over here talking about symbolism and the deeper meanings of like silent hill and stuff and i'm just like i like pyramid head he's pretty cool. <laughs> he's pretty he is he is pretty cool is. yeah it makes no sense for him to be in this movie but he's very cool <laughs> maybe they added him because of the game maybe yeah that's that's my guess like they i did. said in this he's in the second one but to represent that guy's guilt, it doesn't make sense for him to be in this one, but I was happy to see him and they did a really good job with him. He's very terrifying. I would urinate myself at the sight of him. <laughs> That's putting it properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you think of like, as far as, um, well, let me just give you my thoughts on it and I'm going to turn things way upside down here. You're going to say it represents the moon landing. No, yes, that's exactly what it does. Pyramid Head um, represents the guilt. Yeah, the guilt Stanley Kubrick had. For making it. Um, no, I think because the cult is a religious cult, but I think that the cult itself is evil, and they face, once they do what they do, they face the wrath of God. Fire. You know, and it's sort of like that girl that was split in two. Oh, man, I could get so deep with this. But, um, you know, it's almost like they're the evil ones, you know, um, even though they pretend to be the good ones. You know, they Mm -hmm. pretend to be the religious figures or whatever. But they are really facing the wrath of God or. Uh, as Sid said of the Shining Hotel, you know, it, it could represent hell, Silent Hill, same thing, you know, hell, the wrath of God. Um, there's just so much there. Um, and then I really love these movies that have that sort of analysis quality to them, where something is symbolic and does represent things like Judgment. I, I made a film back in 2011 and everything in that movie it was just basically a bunch of scenes uh patchwork together had no plot really or a loose plot but it was the whole film was built upon all of the i guess sort of it was it was a film about me you know it was it was parts of my life that i took and made each person a personification of of those things in my life you know from anger to lust to um the guilt to uh the monster that resides inside of every one of us you know um 
I believe that there is that shadow self. There is that monster that resides in every one of us that we could, we don't really know what we're capable of doing at a certain circumstance under certain circumstances. And so, you know, both these films are sort of like that in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're both um, um, double sided. So I didn't like the nurses. <laughs> I did. <laughs> they were cool. I liked them. But the reason why I also didn't like them is because they were like mannequins, but with bones. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, the nurses, uh, once again, this is part of the second one. And they did. They put these in for fan service, but once again, they don't make sense. The nurses represented uh, in the in the second game. The guy's wife was dying of a disease, and that's why he killed her because he felt like she was suffocating him, and he couldn't live his life because he was always at the hospital with her. And so the the nurses actually represented the nurses who are taking care of his wife, and they're wearing skimpy outfits because. He had a lot of lust for them. He wanted to be with them instead of with his dying wife. Yeah, so that killed his wife, and he wanted to be with them, which is why they're dressed like that because he had lust for the nurses, and that's what they were supposed to represent. That sort of goes back to The Shining when Jack meets the woman in the bathtub, mm-hmm. you know, and he he has lust for her, and then she becomes something terrible, you know. So yeah. it it sort of gives me this thought of. There was a um, philosopher that Sid really loves named Slavoj Žižek. Oh, gosh. And uh, he <laughs> speaks of, he, he made a statement one time that you don't really want what you think you want. And it's sort of like you have, everybody's experienced that in life. It's like you you find something you think you want, but then it the darker side of that comes out and it's like, no. That's not what I wanted. Or as my grandfather used to say, you're scratching to get out of what you were itching to get into. <laughs> Except uh, Zizek probably spit all over the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so on and so on. <laughs> but yeah, these both these movies were very um, deep, and I love that. I love a movie that you can get into and watch several times and, and you know, get multiple multi-dimensional meanings out of it yeah i'm a sucker for um creepy things with good lore yes yes a good story yes i love it so um go ahead yeah go ahead i sort of disagree with Corey when he says it got (laughs) bad at the end because i liked it the whole way through. It's the only movie I know that um, I've actually rooted for the devil. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, at the end, that little girl comes back to take vengeance. That is the most satisfying movie kill of any yeah. movie ever. <laughs> and the, the barbed wire um, wraps around that lady that basically took that little girl to the stake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll start with Tori on this part. Um, what were your favorite scenes or a favorite scene from the film? Um, I I kind of like the scene where the um, 
I forget their name. It was the main character and then the the cop lady. <laughs> Rose and Sybil. Yeah. Um, I also don't remember what room it was in, but they they ran into a room at some point and they were like trapped inside. And then Pyramid Head like tried to get to him through the door by like mm-hmm. giant sword thing, and yeah. then like that was cool all over the place. That was intense, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, another thing that there was a scene in the film where I believe it was Alessa or whatever is that her name? Um, yeah, that's the dark. Yeah, I was talking daughter. about about it, and it reminded me of the there's a verse in the Bible, Mark. Five nine, where it's talking about legion. Uh-huh. You know, Jesus asked, "What is your name?" and and the response was, "Legion, for we are many." Yeah, you know. So I mean, it can just get so deep, you know, in all this stuff. Um, but like you said, it can be convoluted as well. But to me, that's what makes it appealing sometimes. Yeah. So, so Corey, what's your? Unpack. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just said there's so much to unpack. Oh yeah. What was your favorite scene or scenes, Corey? So my favorite scene is when they first get into Silent Hill and uh, after they she crashes and then they turn around and they try to leave and it's like a cliffside. And that whole beginning section where they're walking around in Silent Hill. And I love that because it has the famous fog of Silent Hill it looks just like the games, and there's so much mystery that you're so confused and try to figure out what's going on because there's so much happening that makes no sense, and you're at that very beginning stage where you're just questioning everything. Um, I also agree with the beginning scene for Silent Hill with the fog and stuff and also the, um, the welcome sign. I like that. Yeah. See it? Uh, my favorite part was the um, part where the siren goes off for the first time and things start changing around her because I'm a big fan of the game. And it's like um, in that scene, you know what's about to happen if, you, if you're familiar with the game and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> but uh, that's that's my favorite scene. Okay, so mine, I, I liked every one that you guys mentioned. I like the siren one especially, um, but my favorite scene is the nurses. And the <laughs> reason it is, well, the reason it is, it reminds me a little bit of this video um, that Marilyn Manson did called "Beautiful Pe- The Beautiful People. It's mm-hmm. just so bizarre. I just love it. And the way they're moving, you know, the movement of the nurses and stuff. It's just crazy. But I would say that was probably my favorite scene in it. Um, but like you said, there's a lot to unpack in both these films. Uh, we could go on and on and on about it. But uh, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Do you guys have any final thoughts? If you like this movie, you need to play Silent Hill 2. <laughs> it's uh, so good. All right. Yeah. Or if you like Silent Hill, you need to watch this movie. <laughs> the game? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Tori? Uh, a pyramid head was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Tori has just gotten over COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so she's she's a little uh, 
spacey, I guess. <laughs> COVID haze. It's that Silent Hill haze. Yeah, that's yeah seeped into Fuck. you. Now, now you're gonna be divided into two. That's all in your head. Just <laughs> yeah. that fog. You're in purgatory. <laughs> yeah, but what are the, you? At- um, what if the Overlook Hotel was in Silent Hill? Oh my god! <laughs> Can you imagine that. <laughs> Or once you get wrapped up into the Overlook Hotel, it takes you to Silent Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess what probably happened is that after he killed his family, he went to Purgatory, and now he's in Silent Hill now that he's dead. Oh, he's Pyramid Head now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Well, guys, I guess that's all I've got. Um, Until the next episode, we'll kind of figure out what we're going to do from there, but it's been fun, and um, until next time, you guys got anything else to add? No. Uh, All right. Well, we'll end it here, and uh, you guys take care. All you right, too. Have fun. All right. Bye-bye.